We are in Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four. If you didn't get a hard copy set of notes on the way in, you can raise your hand and we'll hook you up. Otherwise, you can get the digital notes off the social links. We're gonna, we're gonna cover some weird stuff this morning. Um, I would, so this'll be, like, this'll be like Bible study this morning. It will be PG-13, just heads up. Um, I would encourage you to just listen. Before you form your arguments, make sure you understand mine. Uh, that'll help us all a lot, okay? And then if you've got questions, uh, man, I'll be down front after the service and, and, and we, can, we can work through any questions. But uh, I think, I think you'll, you'll get where we're coming from. I know a lot of people have been studying the Bible for a long time and, and uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot that can be inferred in Genesis chapter four. I wanna make sure that we get uh, the right balance in terms of what we should be emphatic over versus what we're gonna give grace over in terms of our inferences. If you're gonna study the Bible, you're gonna compare scripture with scripture, you're gonna make inferences, you're gonna make associations. Um, you know, let's just not be a people that because we, see, we think we see something in scripture, we're at war with our brothers and sisters that don't see it, okay? Um, if the Bible's emphatic, we should be emphatic. If the Bible is explicit, we should be explicit, but, but I, I know the inferences, I, I think we should infer, right? Study the Bible, make the inferences, um, but your, inference, your inference is not another person's mandate. Does, does that make sense? And so maybe it will as we go through this in Genesis chapter four. Uh, we need to pray, we need to ask the Lord to help us this morning. There'll be things that for some people, it'll just go right over their head, uh, that, and that's okay. Uh, we, we, you know, we're full of faith that God will meet people where they're at. If something comes, you know, just jumps over your head, just keep coming, keep studying. The way we learn the Bible is here little, there little. It's by comparing scripture with scripture. It's line upon line. It's precept upon precept. Uh, the only way you won't learn the Bible is if you quit. Amen? Okay, let's pray and then let's get to work. Father, we love you, we need you, and God, we just wanna confess that uh, you are everything. You're the all in all. Thank you for the salvation, the gift of salvation, and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you uh, for the picture that we see in the story of Cain and Abel. Lord, we do ask for your grace this morning. We wanna behold wonderful things out of your law, and, and we wanna know that, 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 that we're in bounds in scripture. And so, Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts and minds to to understand, to believe on your word. Lord, help us to grow in grace, help us to grow in knowledge. Lord, help us to grow uh, in Christ. And, and then, Lord, let it all fall out to your glory. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give. Thank you for your protection over us uh, with, with the Delta variant sweeping through uh, the Midwest. Uh, you've, you've already been so very good to us, and we just pray your continued uh, protection uh, over our church and, and the, the lives of our brothers and sisters, and we just ask for your grace over the Midwest and, 
And Lord, trust you for that. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And, and so Lord, uh, whatever the course of this world throws at us, um, we're, we're down, we're up, we're ready. Uh, we're willing to be engaged for your glory. Uh, Lord, bless the offering, bless the giving. Lord, bless those who have the responsibility to make the investments in ministry. Give us wisdom and discernment. Lord, would you multiply uh, fruit for your glory through your people in this place, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So we are in Genesis chapter four, verse one. We'll just get through verses one and two this morning and, and uh, look at a principle or two, but, but Lord willing, we'll, we'll be wiser for it. Genesis four, verse one says, and Adam knew Eve, his wife. Uh, it's important to know your wife. And she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord and she bare, and she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of the sheep but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Uh, so let's just start with the first phrase. Adam knew his wife. This is word of God, genteel speech for sexual intercourse. Um, whenever a husband says to your wife, it was good knowing you last night, that meant last night was a really good time. Uh, it, it, is, it is sexual intercourse. It is the act of, of sex. It can describe even rape. Uh, in Judges 19, verse 25, you have one of the most horrific stories in the Bible. Uh, some men wanted to, to rape another dude, and, and, and this was a, a horrible story. The, the concubine was put out, and the men abused her. The Bible says the man took his concubine and brought her forth unto them and they knew her and abused her all the night until the morning. When the day began to spring, they let her go. So it's very plainly talking about, it's talking about sex. So I want us to pay attention this morning to what the text is saying because the, 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 the reality is this. You can infer from Genesis chapter four and, and, and there are many that are in independent Baptist churches that see this, and so I wanna make this case for you, but I also wanna make sure we're balanced in our approach to scripture. You can make the case that when, and, and we're gonna look at the language that makes this case, <clears throat> you can make the case that Adam and Eve in the garden at the fall in Genesis chapter three, that there was a sexual indiscretion between Eve and Satan himself. And what we'll see when we get to Genesis chapter six is very clearly there are celestial beings cohabiting with the daughters of men, and they're able, they're able to produce offspring. This offspring, these are the Nephilim, or the bullies, the tyrants, the giants of Genesis chapter six. So we know it is possible for celestial beings from scripture to cohabit with terrestrial beings and, and then you know, you've, got a, you've got a hybrid. Uh, what do they call a mule? Uh, it's a hybrid between a donkey and a horse. Um, well, there's a word for it. A burrow, it's a, it's, a, you know, uh, it's not a chimera, it's a, never mind. It's a hybrid, okay, so. So there is, there is that ability to produce a hybrid uh, class of, of humanity. But I want, us to, I want us to first just pay attention to what the text says just on the plain surface of the text. 
If you read Genesis chapter four, verse one, like you would read anything else, you're gonna come to the logical assumption that Cain is the offspring of Adam. Follow the chain of language. Uh, You're gonna see a cause, an effect, and a result, right? Cause, effect, result, when you read Genesis four, verse one. Adam knew his wife, sexual intercourse, and she conceived, that often happens. Uh, with sexual intercourse, and she had a baby. She bore Cain, she bare Cain. Cause, effect, result. Now many people will ignore that, what's on the surface text, and infer that Cain was the offspring of Satan himself, and you can infer that from the text. There's a pattern there, and you'll see this, hopefully you'll see it very clearly as we come through uh, this, this analysis of these first couple verses. You can infer it but I want us to not miss what the word of God is actually saying. Uh, We hold to a literal view of scripture here at MBT. I was in a Bible study. Uh, We had a couple visitors in the Kenya Bible study yesterday and and, uh, one of the gentlemen made the point that you can't say that the Bible is scientifically accurate. If you say it's a scientific book, uh, then you're caught in a trap. And uh, you know, so I have to listen, you know, if you're, can I just tell you, good communication. If somebody's making a point to you, if you've already cut them off and you're giving your argument before you understand theirs, uh, you're not doing a good job with your argument, okay? If you wanna dismantle somebody's argument, understand where they're coming from. And so I had to listen to what he had to say, even though I've heard it 100 times over my lifetime, I'm listening to this man make the case that the, that the first 12 chapters, the first 10 or 12 chapters of Genesis are not literal, they're figurative. There is an allegory there that is beneficial for God's people, but we cannot take it literally because we have science. We've got information that disproves the ability to take the Bible literally, and and so he goes through all of that, and I'm listening, and I'm trying to be polite. Uh, I'm trying to nod that I understand without making it look like I'm nodding that I agree. And you know, so, so you, I'm, I'm going through all of this and so I just said, okay, let me, uh, let me show you my scientific degree. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm, an, a, I'm an electrical engineer by study in terms of history. Now if you want me to de- design something, I'll actually point you to my son uh, because if you don't use it, you lose it. But, but uh, I went through all of that when I was a young man, and at the end of the day, if you can't take Genesis 1 through 10 literally, then how do you know you can take John 3:16 literally? At what point does the madness end? At what point do you say, well, I can't trust Genesis chapters 1 through 3, but I can trust John 3:16 and take it at face value? If you, I mean, if the book does, this book declares itself as the Word of God. And what is it, oh yeah, let God be true and every man a what? And from the beginning, whenever we see the word of God in play, when we see the battle for the word of God, what's the first volley? Yea, hath God said. Can we really trust that God said what he said and that he meant what he said when he said it? Can we really know that we have the certainty of the words of truth? And that's what got humanity in a big mess to begin with. Is everybody with me so far? At some point, you have to decide, are you a Bible believer or are you a Bible excuser? Are you a Bible believer or are you a Bible explainer (laughs) aware? Sorry, I can't come, somebody will come up with a better way to say that. You have to decide, do I have the certainty of the words of truth and if the Bible says it, it means it, I just need to submit to it and believe it. 
I have never, so as a young man, I did a lot of questioning about the scientific validity of the Bible. I wanna tell you, the day you can prove to me that legitimate true science overturns the truth of this book, well then, man, I got a problem. I don't know if I can believe anything in it anymore. The Bible presents itself as the word of God. The Bible presents itself as the certainty of the words of truth. Every word of God is pure. Every word of God is certain. You're either gonna believe on it or not. At the end of the day, men give themselves to explaining away the authority of the Bible so they can just run out and do what they wanna do. You know, the Bible is an allegory. And so you get a personal meaning from the Bible. That is the, that is the road to a, a tower of Babel of doctrine. Nobody will know what's true, nobody will know what's right. Uh, they said, well, so, so, so how do we, this was the question in the Bible study yesterday, how do, we, how do we come to the certainty of the words of truth? How do we get around? I mean, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a thousand different denominational strains and they've all got different doctrine. How do we know what's really true? And, and my reply to that is, is um, you know, vocabulary, literacy actually matters. It's very important to be literate. And, you, and, and the words, to be able to understand what words mean and sentence structures, what they mean, what are they saying, what does the Bible say? Because at the end of the day, what the Bible says is good doctrine. So I don't wanna take my opinion about what it says. No, what does it say? I don't wanna take your opinion as to why it doesn't apply. No, what does it say? At the end of the day, are you a Bible believer or do you have reasons and excuses for why that verse doesn't apply or this passage is really not literal truth, it's an allegory? It's sinking sand, brothers and sisters, and there's no end to it. Uh, I'm not smart enough to navigate those channels. I need a final authority in my life. Whenever a question comes up, I need to be able to go someplace and find out what God thinks about it. Is this, are you tracking with me? Okay, so, so there are, the, I mean, we're commanded to compare scripture with scripture. We're commanded uh, to look deep and see hidden meanings, hidden truth, all of that's there. But I don't wanna be guilty of overturning the surface text for some sinister application that maybe me and a few of my bros can only see, okay? What does the text say? Well, you've got cause, effect, result. Adam knew his wife, of course she conceived, and bear Cain. Well, no, what, what you need to understand is uh, there's a lot going on underneath the surface text. She said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. That's her, that's her putting on because she knows something went down between her and the devil. Uh, the devil went down to Eden looking for a woman to compromise, and so he was, okay, so, so, so she, she makes this claim, and really they're twins, uh, Cain, you know, sometimes twins can have two different daddies, fraternal twins can have two different daddies, and, and, uh, and so there's a lot of things that you can do in terms of making this work out as, as Satan being the father of Cain, and so here's the linchpin verse in terms of arguments for a satanic fatherhood of Cain. First John chapter three, verse 11, says this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And to contrast that truth, Verse 12, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. And so that is a linchpin passage for people who would hold to the satanic 
parentage of Cain. Uh, Cain is your first and a very perfect type of antichrist. Uh, You'll be able to draw a line from Cain through to Nimrod, right? All the way up um, through your Bible, you're gonna be able to see several types of antichrist, but particularly the Herods, you're gonna see a type of antichrist there, but most notably Judas himself, all the way to the person of antichrist in the end times. And so, so I, I wouldn't even argue any of that. Uh, verse 12 says, not as Cain, who is of that wicked one. Uh, he, just like Christ, uh, was in a sense murdered Adam. The first Adam was murdered of the devil. The second Adam murdered of the devil. Cain is of his father the devil. And if that is a linchpin verse, then if Cain is the literal physical offspring of Satan himself, well then so were all of the religious rulers in Jerusalem in John chapter eight and verse 44. Listen to what the Lord Jesus Christ said. Ye are of your father the devil. Who's your daddy? Ye are of your father the devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. So what did Jesus say? What does the word of God say? Well, if you've been in our family of churches for any length of time, you know that this is actually a linchpin verse for what doctrine? How many spiritual families are there in the world? There's just two. Who's your daddy? You're either of your father in heaven, God is your father, or you're of your father, the devil. Until I was 12 years old, I was of my father, the devil. And then there was a rescue. 2,000 years ago, Christ came and took all of my sin that separated me from the father, that kept me out of his family, took it upon himself on the cross of Calvary, and suffered God's wrath over my sin. Is everybody with me on that? Man, that was a big deal because the moment I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ as my sin bearer, and he died for my sin, he was buried and he rose again so that I could call on him for mercy and for forgiveness and salvation. I was adopted into God's family. More than that, I had a new birth. Physically, I was born in Adam, the old Adam, but spiritually I was born again in the new Adam. And I was born again to everlasting life. Christ is my life, he's my all in all, and so now, just as Christ calls God Father, he is the firstborn of many brethren, so also I call the Father my Father. There are two spiritual families, and you're not gonna find another spiritual family in your Bible. Look all you want, there's just two. So ye are of your father the devil. Nobody who, who would view Cain as being the literal physical offspring of Satan would say that all of the religious rulers in Jerusalem were also the literal physical offspring of Satan. Do you see that? So why wouldn't, I mean, what did Jesus, what did he say, what did he say? I mean, what did he say? Ye are of your father the devil. So they're all chimeras, the religious rulers. They're all Nephilim. They're all, they're all demigods. No, spiritually, they're in darkness. Spiritually, they're of their father, the devil. Two spiritual families. They weren't the literal, physical offspring of Satan. And the same thing's true, I mean, this is, God calls us out. Look at Ephesians chapter two, verses one through three. All who are lost in this world, it says, you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time you walked, right in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. 
among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So we were the children of disobedience. We walked according to our father, according to the prince of the power of the air. We were by nature children of wrath. Who's your daddy? That's a big question this morning. Who's your daddy? Do you walk, do you live according to the course of this world? Are you by nature a child of wrath? Who's your daddy? You must be born again, the scriptures say. So no one argues to make the case that the scribes and the Pharisees or the the lost world were or are Nephilim, demigods, uh, hybrids between humanity and celestial hosts. Uh, Nobody argues that that was us before we were saved. And so here's the key. We know this by comparing scripture with scripture. Cain's spiritual father was Satan. Because John chapter three verse, first John chapter three verse 11 says Cain was of that wicked one. Now was he physically? Well we know he was spiritually because there are only two spiritual families in this world, God's versus Satan's. So to make the argument work, you just need to know proponents of this theory say that Cain and Abel were twins. Uh, Abel was, was Adam's son, but Cain was the, you know, the devil was his daddy. Now, this is never explicitly stated in the text. You have to infer it. Um, and we'll talk about the other big component here in just a second. But, but before we do that, let's just keep looking at what's stated in the text. Uh, we're big on comparing scripture with scripture, so I just would invite you in Genesis chapter four to, to just reread verse one. Adam knew his wife, knew Eve his wife, she conceived, and bare Cain. And then look down to verse 25. It uses the same language. And Adam knew his wife, what? They did it again. Bow, chicken, wow, okay. so. Adam knew his wife again. And surprise, surprise, the, impl- the implication, obviously, you have to, you have, she obviously conceived, right? Because the text says she bare a son and called his name Seth. So it's the exact same cause, effect, result in Genesis 4.25, but nobody assumes that, that she was running back to the devil uh, for Seth. What it says in verse 25 is what we're seeing in verse one. Adam knew his wife again. The implication is she conceived again and she bore another baby. She bare a son and called his name Seth for God said she hath appointed me another seed. Eve was looking for a seed. Why did she say I've gotten a man from the Lord? Well, to cover up her indiscretion. No, you remember the last prophecy, Genesis chapter three, verse 15. It's the only prophecy in all of God's word at this point. It's all that humanity has. Uh, The seed of the woman will what? Destroy Satan. It will crush his head. I mean, Satan's right, Satan will bruise his heel, but Jesus is gonna take him out. And so she's looking for the promised seed. I've gotten a man from the Lord. I've gotten a man, this, this baby that we've just had, Adam, must be the fulfillment of Genesis chapter three, verse 15. Well, that's, that, that seed comes out, you know, he's an antichrist, he kills his little brother. So God gave me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. So no mention by anyone in verse 25 that Seth got the devil for a baby daddy. So don't get me wrong, there is something very demonic about Cain. I don't, I, don't want to take a, I don't want to take that away. You can't miss that. 
There's something demonic. There's something satanic about Cain. Um, next time, we'll, I'll give you the homework for it today. I put a chart in your notes, okay? You can, you can see how, how Cain is a type of antichrist. Like I said before, you can draw a line from Cain right down to Judas himself, to the antichrist himself, uh, as you study your Bible. Now, uh, just since we're here uh, looking at that, just notice the contrast between Cain and Abel. Um, we'll, we'll actually look at this next time in, in Genesis chapter four, but, but here are the, here are the, um, the uh, quick notes, the cheat sheet, the, whenever you don't wanna read the book, you, the cliff notes. Here's the cliff notes on everything that we're gonna see. Cain is a type of a self-righteous person that rejects the sacrifice of the lamb and tries to offer his own works as a substitute. That's what self-righteous people, that's what religious people do. That's what man-made religion does. We don't take uh, the the, the sacrifice that enables the grace of God over our life. No, we we wanna substitute our works. So we see a first birth in Cain. We see a first death, a first murder in his little brother Abel. Abel is a type of a true believer and he demonstrates his faith in God as his offering indicates that a blood sacrifice is the only way to a right relationship with God. He doesn't bring his works to God, he brings an innocent sacrifice to God. See, both Cain and Abel have the same problem. They're both from the same parents, and they're fallen, right? They're cut off from the tree of life. They're cut off from a life of relationship with their creator. So they both have fallen parents. They're both outside of, uh, of Eden, right? Judiciously, they're, they're alienated from the life and the relationship with God. But they come to God two different ways. Each comes to God on a differing basis. Cain comes in his own works. He is standing in the place of God as God, showing himself that he is God, versus Abel who comes with a sacrifice. It's by God's grace through faith that we're saved. That sacrifice picturing the completed work of Christ. See, all of us this morning are in one of these two categories, represented by Cain or Abel. As you look back over your life, over the last day, the last week, the last month, the last year, have you been living by grace through faith in God's word? Or have you been living by the works of righteousness, which you have done? Are you living in God's grace through faith? Or are you standing in the place of God as God, going away that's right in your own eyes? Uh, we'll, we'll see it. Cain knew better. He knew from his family, right? He knew from mom and dad. He knew from, he knew from Abel, and God showed up and told him as well. He knew better. And instead of repentance and submission to the word of God, he murders his little brother. All of us are in these two categories. We're relying on self, on self-righteousness, the works of the flesh, or you're counting on, you're believing on the completed, finished work of Christ. That's always the decision. Are you living Christ or Antichrist? Antichrist says, I know better than God. Genesis chapter three, God's a liar. Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, standing in the place of God as God, showing yourself that you're just as good, you're just as much God as he is, knowing good and evil. And so the woman was deceived. We'll see it's actually the word is beguiled here in a moment. 
When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, I want to stand in the place of God as God. I want to be like the Most High without submission to the Most High. This is the spirit of Antichrist. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 describes it very well in the person of the Antichrist. When the Antichrist is revealed, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, this is who he is. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God. He won't submit to the word of God. He won't worship the most high God or that is worship so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. That's why Cain, in rebellion to what God had clearly revealed to him, not only through his parents and in the example of his little brother, but also the word of the Lord came to Cain as well. He rejects the word of God And as a result, he's submitted to the God of this world. He is of that wicked one. Abel, on the other hand, just does what he knows. He does what he's told. He brings a lamb. So the chart there is for the benefit of your study. You can work that out in homework. We'll actually come back to it uh, as we compare and contrast Cain and Abel uh, over the next couple weeks. Let's look at the reality of Eve's transgression. Uh, Eve in Genesis chapter three, was she out of bounds? Absolutely, I'm not even gonna wait for a reply. You know the answer, she was out of bounds. And uh, Paul has commentary on that. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses one through three. Um, Just like Adam had a bride that was out of bounds, Paul wants to present Christ's bride to him as being in bounds, not out of bounds, (laughs) as being submitted, not rebellious. Look at the description, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, would to God, You should bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. Uh, People talk about the green monster of envy or or jealousy, you know. Uh, A biblical jealousy is a good, healthy thing. We ought to be jealous over the things that are for the Lord and for the Lord alone. I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ at the marriage of the lamb to the bridegroom in the last of the last days before Christ comes to rule and reign for a thousand years. Who's gonna give away the bride of Christ? Well, I mean, so I picture it in my mind's eye. There's the Apostle Paul saying, there she is, Jesus. (laughs) I mean, the Apostle Paul will present the bride of Christ to the bridegroom that I may present you how, he says, as a chaste virgin. What's a chaste virgin? Well, she's hot and everybody's chasing her. No. No, that's not what that means, okay? We need, to, we need proper vocabulary. She's pure, right? She keeps herself holy. Uh, she's not worldly. She's not, she's not lascivious, okay? Uh, she isn't seeing how close she can get to sex without falling in, right? She is chaste. She is keeping herself pure before the Lord. I wanna present you as a chaste virgin to Christ but I know you can get messed up. Look at verse three. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And notice the illustration, okay? There's obviously a sexual context to what Paul is describing. I want to present you as a pure virgin. 
so as someone who has not fooled around with anybody else. But my fear is, just like the serpent beguiled Eve, so the beguiled Eve stands in contrast to a, pur- a pure, chaste, virginal church being presented to Christ. Do you see the analogy? Do you see the comparison? I wanna present you as a chaste virgin. I don't wanna present you like Eve who was beguiled. And so there's a sexual content, there's a sexual connection or connotation to the word beguiled in your Bible. And as you trace the word beguiled or beguiled through your Bible, you're gonna keep, you're gonna keep seeing it showing up with a sexual connection, with a sexual connotation. Uh, you can't actually miss that when you study your Bible. So you're, so I, but I fear less by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, how was he subtle? The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, and what does he say? He rests the scriptures, doesn't he? And then Eve takes the fruit and she eats. There's nothing in the text that talks about them making the two-back monster. You'll figure it out. So. She, she, she joins him in resting scripture. She takes the fruit in rebellion to the word of God. And this is exactly the point that Paul makes in verse three. So your minds, just like the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the, from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, the question is, are we listening to the word of God or are we allowing it to be rested and are we buying in? Are we allowing our minds to be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ? See, Eve was listening to another man instead of her husband. Uh, You remember we looked at the two aspects of it. There was instruction that God gave to them and then there was instruction about the tree that God gave to Adam. Eve should have been listening to Adam about that tree, not the devil. Do you see that? She's not submitted to her man. She's off with another man doing what he's telling her to do. Uh, That is a foul, that is out of bounds. But throughout scripture, see the clear implication that Paul's making is she's not functioning as a chaste virgin. She's not functioning in purity uh, as she was when she was presented to Adam. She's off with another man listening to a contrary word. Throughout scripture, the word beguiled is associated with physical, with sexual deception. Uh, You wanna get that down. There is a connection, there's a connotation of sexual deception. In Genesis 29, look at verse 25. Again, just hear me out on this. It came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah, not Laban, okay? I don't care how dark it was or how thick the veil, if it was Laban in the tent, Joseph would have figured that out real quick. You guys know the story. Uh, He's got the hots for little sis, and he's like, how do I get little sis to be my bride? And dad's like, seven years, bro. Seven years of labor. And so he's like, she's worth it. So he does the seven years of labor. It's the wedding night. And then the next morning, yo, little sis. No, it's big, plain, you know, good personality sis. Okay? So, what in the world? Okay, if it had been Laban in the tent, you get Human anatomy, physiology, right? Joseph would have figured it out real quick. (laughs) It came to pass in the morning, behold, surprise, it was Leah. And he he said to Laban, what is this that thou hast done unto me? 
what, did, what is this that thou hast done unto me? Just remember that phrase because it's going to come up again in Genesis chapter 9. What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did I not serve thee for Rachel? Uh, did not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? Who beguiled Jacob? Who beguiled him? Well, then it's obviously, you know, Jacob and Laban had some kind of homosexual something going on in the tent last night. No, it's very clear from the text that's not what happened. But there was a sexual deception that took place. Do you see that? Who beguiled him? It was Laban, it was dad, not big sis. Okay, so beguiled does not demand getting jiggy with it. Do you see that? Now there's a connection to uh, 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 getting jiggy with it. uh, There's a connotation, right? But it's sexual deception. Well, okay, well what about Eve? Paul said that she was beguiled. Well, let's keep going. See, nobody thinks that Laban was in the tent the night before. Beguile does not demand the meaning of sex by the beguiler, but it is connected to it. Why did you beguile me? Why am I with the wrong sister? Laban beguiled Jacob by giving him one daughter as another to be Jacob's wife. Everybody's with me on that, right? Okay, so let me give you another example. Israel abode in Shittim. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Uh, committing whoredom, whoredom is, it's, they're starting up a little orgy right out there in the wilderness. Okay, so they began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now here's a big key. Look at the next verse. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. Now we're gonna see very clearly there's a sexual component to this. There's a, actually an orgy going out in the woods and but, 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 but worse than that even is the worship of Baal, Baal Peor. Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Again, that is sexual language. Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. Now, nobody in the history of humanity has ever with that gotten in their head the image of Israel as a nation somehow copulating literally physically with Baal Peor. In other words, it's what kind of adultery? Physical or? It's spiritual adultery, and it's just as real as physical adultery. They're committing whoredom. They've joined themselves unto Baal Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. Anybody would get upset when their beloved is with another man. So the, the, in verses four and following, God's instructing Moses to deal with this in judgment. Look down in verse seven, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, right? There were, he saw the, the, the righteous weeping before the Lord. He saw the wicked committing whoredom before the Lord. So he rose up from among the congregation, took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust them both through, the man in Israel and the woman through her belly. I love this picture. Not because, I mean, it's a horrible picture. Don't get me wrong, but notice he's stabbing the dude in his hiney. <laughs> the artist got it right, though. I mean, it's a, it was an illustration in a biblical text, and I, I thought you would get a kick out of that. So anyway, um, we could just kill that screen now. Nobody needs to keep seeing that. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> so... He thrust her through the belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. 
those that died in the plague were 24,000. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my, in my jealousy. Uh, this would be another case for why we rightly divide the word of truth. In the dispensation of grace, we don't deal with adulterers with spears. Uh, just heads up, out of bounds, okay? Uh, but this is under the law. It's not under grace, it's under the law. And so God says, Phineas, good job. The name of the Israelite, look down in verse 14. The Israelite that was slain with the Midianitish woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, the prince of a chief, uh, of a chief house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianitish woman uh, that was slain was Cosby, the, the daughter of Zur. He was head over a people and of a chief house in Midian. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Vex the Midianites and smite them. Watch this now. For they vex you with their wiles, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of pure. How did they get you worshiping Baal Peor? Um, that's a whole nother big study, but at the end of it all, uh, Balaam was hired to curse Israel. He couldn't, he couldn't get it done, and so he thought, I know how to get them to curse themselves. And so let's get them, let's get the, the hot priestesses of Moab uh, to lead them astray. And many fell into it physically, no question about it. The, I mean, no way did did uh, Phineas get a two-for-one killing done, except they were making the two-back monster. Um, but Israel also joined himself to Baal Pure, and what he's saying now is they vex you with their wiles, so there's something they're doing that's vexing you, wherewith they have beguiled you in the matter of Pure and in the matter of Cosby, the daughter of the prince of Midian, their sister which was slain in the day for the plague of Peorsate. There is a connection, right? It is, it, there's a sexual connection to beguiling. But don't miss the point that God's making here. Israel joined himself unto Baal Peor. They committed whoredom with the daughters of Moab. When you stray from God and his word for the course of this world and the gods of this world, right, if they keep showing up, in your life, that's adulterous according to the Bible. Look at James 4.4. 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We're to be in the world but not of it. We're to love the world, right? God so loved the world that he gave his son a sacrifice. We're to love the world, not the course of the world, not the way of the world, not the sins of the world. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, that's what God describes over his people who love, make friendship, make alliance with the course of this world. God views it as cheating on him. You're committing whoredom. You're being an unfaithful bride. That's the perspective. James 4.4 does not explain how to copulate as a believer with the world. Right, it is spiritual infidelity. And yet, God puts it in terms we can all understand. You wanna know what it's like whenever you run out on me, when you ignore my word, when you go running around with other gods, whenever you join yourself to the course of this world, when you serve other gods, you know what that's like? It's like you're cheating on me. He puts it in terms that everyone can understand. But the text does not this is so critical. The text does not explicitly say whether or not Eve 
had sexual intercourse with Satan. Maybe she did. You can't prove it from the Bible. You can infer it. You can imply it. But we've already seen that the word beguiled, while it's connected to sexual deception, it doesn't demand actual sexual intercourse. Laban and Jacob did not get jiggy with it. It was Laban that beguiled Jacob. Okay. The text does explicitly say that Adam was Cain's father in verse one, and again, that Seth was sired by Adam in verse 25. So here's the key, this is what I want us to get. We wanna be emphatic where the Bible is, but anytime you're inferring content, let's give each other grace, okay? Uh, let's be emphatic where the Bible's emphatic, and where the Bible is not explicit, you have to infer some insight uh, that's not a hill for you to die on, brothers and sisters, and that will not be a point of division in this church. Hello, somebody. And the reason you're like, why is Miles barking up this tree? Because I've had to deal with this kind of stuff over and over over the years of ministry, and I'm tired of it. You see my gray beard? Okay, what happens is, you, you know, young people are always, I mean, they're quick to fight, but they're also very gracious. Have you noticed that about young people? Young people are like, they don't want a problem, but I mean, if the chips are down, um, all of a sudden they're, they're fighting when they don't have to. It's just, it's just not enough time and grade living life, okay? But the old, you just watch it. The older you get, if you'll keep living, eventually you're that old man yelling at the kids, get off my lawn! <laughs> Why? Because you've been working your tail off and they just come running through with their bikes and their skateboards and their trash and their pop bottles and, and they're bringing their dog in and that dog's got, I mean, how does a dog pee on the lawn and destroy a whole year's worth of work? I mean, how's that happen? Right? You get what I'm talking about? It's like, why is he so angry and bitter? Because he's tired of getting people just wrecking everything that he's built. Okay, so that's where I'm at. Do not pee on this lawn. Do not do it. <laughs> I will be barking at you, bro. <laughs> okay. There are things that are not worth causing division over. There are, issue, there are things that you're going to see in the Bible that are not worth a drag, down, I mean, a drag out fight. It's a big book. You show me the church where everyone agrees about every word on every single page, and that, I, I wish it were possible. That's always the goal. But you show me where it happens, and... 999 times out of 1,000, I will show you a cult, is what I'll show you, because it's the pastor's way or the highway, okay? Infer about the Bible. Make inference. This is how we study scripture. Search the deep things of God. Put it out there, right? But if 99 people out of 100 are saying, bro, I don't think the Bible's saying what you think it says, humble yourself. That is not a hill for you to die on. Lord help us. Okay, so we gotta get something spiritual before we close out, so real quick, let's look at the devotional application. The New Testament battle. What's the New Testament application? Man, there's a battle for your brain, and you need to know that. The battle is for the mind, and it's won through standing on the purity and simplicity of God's word. The battle for the mind is one through the purity and simplicity of God's word. Will we just trust and obey? Because brothers and sisters, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. You spend your whole life explaining away, explaining away why some passages don't apply to you that actually do, <laughs> or you try to explain away Genesis as literal and physical. I mean, come on. Uh, there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Colossians chapter two, turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter two. We'll just uh, look through verses eight through 18. Verses eight through 18. Paul lists the dangers for the Laodicean church in being beguiled through wrong think, wrong belief, wrong worship. Look at Colossians 2 verse eight. Beware lest any man spoil you. Has everybody got it, Colossians 2 verse eight? Uh, first one to get it, stand up and read it, verse eight, just verse eight in your outside voice. Draw your swords, charge. Anybody else grow up in Bible club? You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Draw your swords, charge. If you have it, just stand up, read it in your outside voice. Man. Look at the smile on this guy's face. How's married life treating you, brother? That's good. That's good. Praise the Lord. Beware lest any man spoil you how? Through false teaching, through scripture resting, through deception in the scripture. Beware lest any man spoil you. Look down in verse 16. Right, because verses eight through 15, we have victory. You're not, Romans chapter six, verse 14, in Christ you are not under the law. Sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace. So in, in, in verses nine through 15, we see the victory, the deliverance that we have through the finished work of Christ at Calvary. You are not under the law. So verse 16, let no man therefore judge you because you can't rightly divide the scripture. They refuse to rightly divide the scripture, so they're trying to make you keep the feasts. You're not a good Christian if you don't keep, if you don't keep Passover. You're not a good Christian if you, if you don't keep the feast. No, don't let anybody judge you in meat or drink or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbath days. Look at verse 18. Let no man what? Beguile you. And some of the dudes are like, no dude is gonna get with me. I mean. No, let no man beguile you of your word. How? In voluntary humility? In a voluntary humility and, hello, worshiping of angels through false religion, right? Don't, don't, don't let your devotion to Christ be corrupted with the course of this world, with the gods of this world. And it's that word again, beguile. Why? Because God views that as you cheating on him. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that the course of this world is not cool with God? That's not permissible in your life? Beguile is associated with deception. The Bible is very clear about that. Uh, It's also associated with sexual deception. Uh, But in terms of a New Testament application, how do we guard against wrong thinking? How do we keep ourselves pure? How do we live that life of the chaste virgin as the bride of Christ? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is so beautiful. Look at verses three through six. Yeah, we're in the flesh. In Romans chapter seven, Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Oh, wretched man that I am. It's all present tense. So how do I keep it, the flesh, from getting its way? And how do I keep this, the word of God, having his way? How do I keep that straight? How do I guard against having my my, my um, uh, being, how, how, do, how do I guard against being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit? How do I keep from being compelled 
to wrong living, people judging me in respect to my, 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 my outward form, right? Am I, keep, am I doing the right things? How do I keep from being beguiled of my reward? Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshy, they're not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every thought, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Isn't that beautiful? I am tempted to go the course of this world. I am tempted to be put under a scripture rester. At the end of the day, how I have to roll is, wait a minute, I see a potential conflict. I don't think this is right. Maybe it is. I, I don't want to mess up. So what do I do? I run to the scripture. What does the word of God say? What does the Bible say? The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Again, uh, I grew up in Bible club. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, okay, so what does the Bible say? Because what I'm thinking is this, but the Bible says that, and so what I'm thinking is wrong, and so I'm gonna cast that down. And I'm gonna keep casting down. Wow, it keeps popping up. I'll give you a simple illustration. Most of the kids who grow up in church go through this at some point, so mom, dad, listen. Um, I went through a phase in my life where uh, I was hearing a voice. I don't know if I was schizophrenic, but I was hearing a voice. I was hearing voices. And they were foul. It was cursing. And it felt like it was coming from my heart or my mind. And I couldn't quit thinking these wicked thoughts. And I was hearing this voice. And it was swear words. I mean, like all the nasty ones, you know? And I'd just given my life to Christ. And I was trying to follow the Lord. And I'm hearing these voices. And and it's just blankety blank, blankety blank. I mean, I was like learning how to cuss like a sailor. I was raised by sailors, so I actually already knew how. But... I'm hearing all these curse words and it's freaking me out. I can't stop thinking about it. I'm like, and I tried and I tried and I tried and I couldn't stop thinking about it. And it's like, why, why can't I stop thinking about this? And I eventually flipped out and started crying. Because I didn't, you know, I was 12, I didn't know what else to do. I go to my mom and I'm, I told her exactly what I just told you and she's like, ah, here's what you do. Quit trying, right? Quit trying to stop doing the wrong thing and here's how, you, here's how you bring your thoughts into captivity. Start thinking the right things. And every time the wrong things break in, well then you just refocus on the right things. Whatsoever things are pure, what the, oh, you know, put your focus right and just keep thinking the right things and then eventually you'll forget how to think the wrong things. It'll go away. I'm like, well that just sounds impossible because this is so pressing on my mind and my heart. Uh, but I did. She says, sing your favorite song from church, read the scriptures, memorize scripture when that happens. Uh, start memorizing the scripture. So get your Bible verses down. Uh, start giving God thanks for all of the good things that you know that he's done over your life. Start with your salvation. I mean, she just gave me some positive things in order to give me some weapons of warfare in order to bring my thoughts, right, every imagination captive to obedience to Christ. And sure enough, 
I mean, it didn't even take like an hour or two and the voices were gone. And then every time they popped up within a week, they quit popping up. And uh, I knew more Bible in that week than I'd learned in the last, you know, three or four months combined. I mean, it was amazing. Renew your mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I'd like us to bow our heads and humble our hearts before the Lord. Father, Lord, you see my brothers and sisters, you see us, you see our need, and Lord, we just ask that you would have your way with us. God, please, in Christ's name, help us to walk away from that, that thing that's got us tied to the course of this world, that's making us an ally, that's put us in friendship with the world and enmity with you. You're not our enemy, we, don't, we, we should never be yours. Lord, there are people this morning here that need to, to dump some phone numbers out of their phone. And they need to, they need to get some, some web blockers on their internet. There's some people today that, that need to throw away a game system or whatever. And not because it's a legalistic thing, but uh, Lord, to make no provision for the flesh. There are people today that need to renew their mind. Uh, there are people today that need to, the things that are true and lovely, those things that are of good report, they need to begin purposely dwelling on those things. Lord, there are people, there are people today who pray to prayer and they think they're saved because they prayed that prayer and, and maybe there are many more that, that, that did and are, but there are some who are just going through the motions and, and, and now they're living life having a form of godliness but there's no reality. Lord, you know each and every one of us. You're the cre- you are the creator of every atom, every, every proton, every neutron, right? Every, every electron, like you are the creator of every quark. You know us better than we'll ever know ourselves. So God, would you please pour out your spirit in conviction on us. Lord, help us to see that you're worthy, that you're worth being right with for the believers, for brothers and sisters, where we're cheating on you with the world. Break our hearts over it, Lord. Help us to see our need to come back to you, that we might be presented to you a chaste virgin, as a chaste virgin. Uh, There are some who have never met you, and in the final judgment, they'll hear, I never knew you, depart into everlasting fire. Lord, you're not willing that any would perish. God, let today be a day of repentance Let today be a day of confession of and forgiveness over all our sin. God, have your way with each and every heart, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.